Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Our guest today is an internationally recognized expert at fully connected leadership and communication. She is a trusted mentor to executives and leaders and a highly sought after speaker and trainer. Her clients include associations, nonprofits, and governments, as well as iconic brands such as Bluescope. Westpac, Toll and Microsoft. You may have seen her featured in Smart Company, This Working Life, The Saturday Paper, Blue Sky News, ABC Radio and CEO World Magazine, known for helping leaders and teams achieve real connection and sustained engagement. She is also passionate about encouraging organisations to talk about menopause in the workplace. Mel has twice in 2022 and 2023 been recognised by Leaders Hum as one of the top 200 biggest voices in leadership globally, one of only seven Australians on the list. She's also the host of the podcast This Connected Life and author of two books, the best-selling Fully Connected and Social Association. I'm very excited to welcome Mel Kettle. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by our special guest today. Hello, Mel. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Ali. It's great to see you and to have this chance to have a chat with you. It's been ages. It, it has been ages. I'm very excited to uh, have you on the show. We're going to be talking about some of uh, both of our passion projects and favourite topics all around connection, communication, and of course, the very hot topic right now of boundaries. But before we get into all of that, can you give a little bit of background about where did you come from and where are you going? Where did I come from? That's a really interesting question. Um, I grew up on the New South Wales Central Coast near Gosford, uh, lived in a lot of different places before moving there when I was eight. Won't bore you with all the details. Um, These days I live in Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast and I work as a leadership communication specialist helping teams, leaders and teams communicate so they create real connection and sustained engagement. And I guess I started off in that um, with an interest in connection and engagement when I was in high school and I really wanted to be a Rotary Exchange student. And I was very shy, very introverted. And so my application was rejected the first time around. Fortunately, they had a dropout. (laughs) I love this guy forever. And I got a second chance and I had been warned that if I didn't um, show more of my personality and talk to more people, then I wouldn't get accepted. And so that was when I realized that you had to sometimes push yourself out of your comfort zone and, um, you know, really make an effort with getting to know people if you wanted to achieve your goals in life. I love it. So where was the Rotary Exchange to? So I went to Canada. I went to a little town called Brandon, Manitoba, which is smack bang in the middle of the country, 100 kilometers north of the US border. 
And um, the day that I arrived, it was a balmy minus 11 and oh. it, it was 35 degrees the day that I left Gosford. Um, and about a week later, it was minus 40 and it stayed at minus 40 for quite a while. So it was definitely a climate culture shock. <laughs> no, thank you. I hate being cold. So that was your little foray into understanding about communication. But I, you and I have had a conversation about this over dinner. Tell me a little bit more about your eclectic background because it's a wild story. <laughs> so uh, my first job when I was in my, my first year of uni, I might have even been in high school. Anyway, my first job was um, helping out at my dad's company. He worked for a traffic management consultancy and as a town planner, and they were doing some traffic management studies and snowy mountains in New South Wales. And so I was hired to go down and stay in this amazing house in Jindabyne for 10 days and stand at the gate to the, snow, the ski patrol or the ski um, the ski tube with a clicker and count how many people got onto the ski tube. Love and then- it somebody else was counting how many cars there were. And um, the good thing about this whole thing is the weather was absolutely atrocious. And so they called off the study. Um, I think we did two days between all of us. And so I spent, you know, 10 days in this amazing house with a spa and a sauna um, and tickets to go and see Transvision Vamp. (laughs) And you thought, like, this is living. I've made it. I've made it from a career perspective. If this is what consulting is, sign me up, baby. Yeah. (laughs) So good. So how do you think then did you get into talking about, you know, some of your topics around connection and communication, working with leaders to sustain engagement? What was the prompter? Very early in my career, um, after my traffic management clicking, I was Uh a conference organiser and that really taught me the benefit and the value in having solid relationships and being able to communicate with influence and with impact. And watching some of these amazing speakers and some very mediocre speakers get paid a lot of money made me realise that um, there was just so much opportunity in this space. Um, from that job, I went and worked, I moved to Queensland. I was the marketing manager of the Brisbane Festival where I worked with massive number of stakeholders and, again, a whole range of different communication skills from performing artists through to um, the guys that loaded the soundstage. Um, and from there, I went into work with government. I worked for the Office of Fair Trading for quite a few years. And when I first joined the office, we had 100 pieces of legislation that we had to communicate to business and consumers in Queensland. And not only did we have 100 pieces of legislation, but every legislation was related to a completely different stakeholder group. And so I learned really quickly that if I couldn't communicate either verbally or in writing or Um, through body language or through other means, then we weren't going to get our messages across. Um, And particularly because we had a really tiny budget to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we had to be clever and we had to be creative. And so it just, it taught me so many amazing skills. It's amazing, isn't it? So I often will speak to leaders around uh, communication agility. So their ability to flex depending on the audience. And it sounds like you did that a lot with the verbally verbal communication, written communication. You said you had a tiny budget and how to be creative. Yeah. What What's your favourite creative way that you helped push out this message? Oh, 
we, on a we shoestring. Did, the, the main thing that we did was we used our stakeholders. Yeah. So we used the industry associations that represented the stakeholder group that were that, that had um, the most to gain and lose from the legislation mm. not being correctly interpreted. Mm. And so we used them. So when we um, developed a communication strategy around the revamp of the Property Agents and Motor Dealers Act, we worked really closely with the RACQ and with the Real Estate Industry Association of Queensland and with um, other government Department because they had mailing lists that we didn't. And, yeah. you know, this was also in um, the uh, my event management days were in the 90s and my time in Queensland government was in the early 2000s. And so the internet was very fledgling and social media didn't exist. So yeah. in quite I a few of those, those good old days. Yeah. So in quite a few of those jobs, we I had to develop the first website for these organisations and for these projects. And yeah. so I also got really, really good at telling people why we needed this website, this newfangled thing, um, and why we needed email, which was never going to last, by the way. <laughs> Little Missy, email won't last, is what one of my clients told me. Um, yep. I would love to go back to him now and say, when was the last time you went to the post office? <laughs> yes, love that. <laughs> um, so it was just understanding um, people's pain points and then working out how do you address them in a way that makes them believe that they had the idea. Mm, I'm very good at that. Influence. I'm yes. very good at that. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so yeah. tell me a little bit around how that transitions now to the leaders that you work with. Obviously, social media um, has become its own communication mode and model in its own right. If we talk about some of the Gen Z that are now entering the workforce, um, they don't know a world without social media. In fact, that's probably their main form mm. of communication. How does what you learned back then help you with helping leaders with what they do right now? So I really think that while the tools that we use to communicate have changed and evolved the fundamentals of communication have not Mm. if you aren't communicating the right message to the right person at the right time and Mm. in the right way using the Mm. right platform then they're never going to get that message and so communication hasn't actually occurred you've just been broadcasting and so the number one thing I teach my clients is to work out who do they need to who do they need to engage with and who do they need to influence and what is it they know about those people or those groups of people and in terms of where do they go to get information, what plan, what platforms are the first places they go for the kind of information that you're imparting. Um, and sometimes it's social media and sometimes it's billboards and sometimes it's having a conversation and picking up the phone. Um, yeah. But... Uh, And then what are the platforms and the ways that you communicate so that you have the biggest impact? And it's really different for a CEO who's new in an organisation to, say, a CEO who's been promoted from within. Mm. They've got different kinds of ways to communicate to get their message out because one of them's new to the organisation and one of them might have been there for 20 years. Mm. And so then you look at what are the kinds of relationships you want to have and how do you develop those relationships as quickly as possible so that it's beneficial to all parties. Absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there when it comes to going, how do we get the right message out to the right people? And also what's the perspective that they're coming from, i.e. your CEOs, but also what's the perspective of how it's going to be delivered? What do you think are some of the biggest stumbling blocks when it comes to communication these days? I mean, you and I have both built our, our businesses and our profession around helping leaders communicate. What, why is it so hard, do you think? Everybody thinks they're a communicator is probably the first reason. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and everybody can speak and everybody can have a voice, but just because you can speak and have a voice doesn't mean you're actually communicating your message because communicating is not the giving of the message, it's the receiving of the message and the action that comes after. And that's what most people forget. Um, and the number of times I've had clients say to me, and I'm sure you have as well, Ali, but I've emailed them, yes. but, I've, but I've communicated because I've emailed them. Yes. And it's like, well, so you've sent an email. Did they yep. get it? Well, I sent it. Yeah. Did they read it? Did they did they, they even it look and at interpret it? it in the right way? Yeah. 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 Yep. Did it even hit their inbox to begin with? Yeah. Let alone did they open it or did they just ignore it because they, like most people, get get hundreds of emails a day? And yes. what about, you know, <laughs> my husband works for a supermarket in um driving a truck. And so he doesn't even have a work email account. And so yep. he's I mean, actually he might, but I don't know if he knows what it is. Um so somebody saying to him, I emailed you, it's like, well, I've been in the truck for the last yeah. eight hours. So when yeah. do you expect me to log in and look? Yeah. Not while I'm driving, surely. Yeah, safety. Safety first. Do not do not recheck your emails while you're driving, people. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and, and again, I think that really comes back to being like aware of the audience and what they're sort of doing and audience, whether it's audience is your team or audience who are your customers or whether it's audience for sort of a broader network and going, okay, well, how are people actually going to mm. receive this? And maybe it's not one platform or one way. It's going, how do we how do we do a capture all and make sure everyone is getting that? But more importantly, how do we know that they know? Yeah. And I think the other thing, just to back to your original question is often how, how are you perceived by other people? Mm. So yeah. if you're trying to build relationships with people, mm. do they perceive you in the same way that you believe you are being perceived? Yeah. So, and that comes back to how self-aware are you? Yeah. Do you have a level of self-awareness um, that matches what other people think of you mm. or do you not? And while most people would say they have a high level of self-awareness, the research shows that most people do not. Yes. Have you got any tips? I know we're going to get to tips later, but have you got any? Because that's a big piece of it, right? Mm. Going, the people that think they're self-aware often are not. Are not, And then they're blindsided or there's a sort of a surprise event that happens. They're like, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Have you got any... How, how do you think people become self-aware or how do they measure their self-awareness if they're going, oh, I don't know which camp I'm mm. Becoming more self-aware is really hard because it can be really confronting to do yeah. the, um, the evaluation and the reflection and to give yourself permission to have difficult thoughts about your behaviour. Mm. Um, but one of the ways that you can, if you, if you do want to become more self-aware or if you want to um, evaluate how self-aware you might be, then you need to think about how do you ask more questions and have more curiosity. Um, and some of those questions might be asking people how they see you, asking people for two or three words that they might use to describe you and see whether those words fit in with how you would describe yourself. Yeah. Um, but also being curious around your own thoughts and actions or behaviours. And if somebody is surprised or offended by something that you say, or if you have a really intense reaction, positive or negative, to something that happens to you or that somebody says to you, then show some curiosity and ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? And then the second thing is um, listen, listen to other people and listen to yourself. And I know there's been a lot of times where I've said something and then just gone, oh my God, how do those words come out of my mouth? Yes. And when you do that, that's a good opportunity for you to look back later and go, why did I say that? Did mm. I mean it? Or was it just a not thinking? And if it wasn't thinking, how often do I do that? Mm. And what's the impact of that? And how would that 
um, change or impact on the other person's perception of who I am? Do they now think I'm an idiot or do they think, oh, she's just had a brain fart? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've not heard anyone else say that. I say that as well. Whoops, had a brain fart. Oh, good. I just say menopause brain. That gets away with a lot. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, introspection is so difficult and we often don't do it until it comes to, in the corporate world specifically, until it comes to, um, you know, 360 degree feedback or reviews and we go, oh, that Mm. was unexpected. Yeah. Yes. Or if we have some kind of, you know, sort of life crisis where we really have to dig deep. And um, yeah. I was speaking to someone yesterday and they're like, do some na- navel gazing. And I was like, <laughs> do some inner work. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love um, the navel gazing expression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure about you for your own practices, but a big part of my sort of weekly cadence is reflection on going, how did, how did things go? What happened? How am I feeling? How did I respond? Was that the best possible way? Or what can we do better? Do you have a practice for your own, I guess, continual development around self-awareness? Because it's like an onion, right? It keeps. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. And um, I do exactly what you've just articulated. But I also do a lot of like I read a lot of business books and I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies um, and I read a lot of novels and I look at the characterization that comes through in all of these books and I think, what did I learn from that? Mm. And why do, particularly when I'm reading a novel, I think, why do I have this sense of discomfort because that character did that thing? Mm. Oh, wow. And some books I've just like, oh, I'm not, I don't have the brain space to sit in this discomfort. I'm just going to ditch that book and return it. It's not for me. Um, But sometimes I'm like, oh, I think I've got that discomfort because I found myself in that situation or I'd hate to be in that situation or I've, you know, or I can imagine myself and I don't think I'd react that way, but deep down maybe I really would. Mm. And so that can be really um, giving that, that can be another helpful way of just working out what you believe and why you believe it and why you think the way you do. Mm, That inner knowing, right? Yeah, yeah, which comes back to the third thing that you can do to become more self-aware. So you can ask questions, you can listen, and you can observe. And so observe behaviours and actions of other people, but also observe your own. And Mm. so observe, um, you know, when things don't quite go right, if you get, for example, if, if the hairs on your neck suddenly stand up because of something and you've observed that, it's hard not to, or your spidey senses start tingling, then why? What is it that has caused that to happen to you? You've Mm. observed this feeling. Now start asking some questions around why is this happening? Because it always happens for a reason. And good leaders know how to interpret those feelings. It's like the gut instinct. It's that third thing. You've got your heart, you've got your head, and you've got your gut. Mm. And too often we forget about listening to our gut. Yeah. yeah. I think we're conditioned, right, to make sensible logical mm-hmm. decisions whereas in actual fact sometimes we need to make less sensible questions less sensible or less logical decisions and go with what actually feels right yeah in this instance as well you've mentioned a few times around building relationships whether it was with your stakeholders from that government project or whether it's around helping um, leaders build that 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 relationship and I'm assuming by relationship you're meaning connection how do you think the importance and understanding of connection has sort of become a little bit more front of mind particularly Mm. over the last couple of years. I've noticed it, you and I have talked about this before, but what do you think 
What are you seeing now when it comes to connection and placing the importance on it? I'm seeing, um, actually, I'm seeing a lot of disconnection and disengagement. And I think one of the reasons for that is because we spend so much time on our phones and staring at a screen that we forget to actually pick up the phone and make a telephone call to talk to people. Um, And as much as I love hybrid work and working remotely, there's nothing, you don't get the same impact when you're having a conversation with somebody through a screen as you do when you're in the same room. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly because you can only see a part of them. So, you know, we're looking at each other through Zoom at the moment and we can really only see each other sort of from the shoulders up. And yeah. so there's a lot of things that you can learn from somebody about their what makes them comfortable or uncomfortable, for example, when you're in the same room as them, because you can see how close do they stand to you? What is their body language? Are they twitching? Are they a leg, a foot tapper? Um, yeah. Do they bite their nails? Um all of those things show you something about somebody's personality and behaviour that can be really insightful when it comes to building a relationship with them. Yeah, I love that. And why do you think uh, there's a bit more of an emphasis on it now? Because I agree, I think we're, there's a lot of disconnection. I think there's sort of, we've got to a point now where we can literally be checked out and there is hybrid work and there's teams that are working um, remotely around the world and have been for a number of years. What I'm seeing, and, and you tell me if you you know either agree or disagree, is that people are almost craving connection now. Um, I... Mm. I fingers crossed hope at some stage there's going to be some kind of social media blackout and we all have to, you know, leave leave the house or leave the office and actually go and interact. Um, <laughs> there's just like there's new new social platforms coming out every day. But I do wonder where where this craving for connection mm. has come from. For me, it seems like it's sort of popped up this year uh, where we're talking, mm. oh, yeah, you know, we know that we get more things done in a room. Um, we know the power of bringing people together for meetings or for conferences yeah. or conventions and that type of thing. But it's almost like people now are actively seeking out that. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I look at, um, I look, at, but however, having said that, I think the people who seek it out are the people who realise that's what was missing. So um, I went to... I'm a member of the Caloundra Chamber of Commerce and once a month they do a coffee morning on a Friday morning and it's very informal. Um, And the last, I don't know, eight or nine have been sold out. So when I first joined, they had they never sold out. You could get you could just rock up and get a spot on the day. But the last probably all of the ones this year and the last couple of last year, they were so oversubscribed. Um, because people are realising that it's a good opportunity to get out and meet people in a very non-threatening environment. Um, and even this morning, like I look, I got home and I they go from eight to nine. I got home at quarter past 10 this morning because I was just having these great conversations with people and none of us needed to leave. And so we didn't. Um, yeah. And I'm seeing that with conferences that I'm going to, with other events that I'm attending, there's just so many people turning up. However, I'm not so much seeing it in terms of people going back into the office for my client. Yeah. And I, I, some of the conversations I'm having with my clients is how can they be encouraging people to come back in? Mm-hmm. And they have to, if you really want your people to come in on a regular basis, you need to give them a reason to. And if they're going in and they're just going to spend the whole day on Zoom meetings, that is not a reason because they can do that at home. So you need to have a reason to bring people together. Um, last week, one of my clients, I ran a workshop in Brisbane in person for a client. And one of the women who came, 
was on annual leave because she'd moved house the day before. And she said, I was determined to be there because I was determined to be in the same room as my team, who I only get to see all of them once or twice a year because they're all around um, up and down the east coast of Australia. And I thought, yeah, that's what organisations need to do. They need Mm -hmm. to give people a compelling reason so that they can't say no. They don't want to say no because they'll have too much FOMO if they do. Yes. Oh, bit mm. kicking a bit of FOMO. I always think um, a bit of peer pressure is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it is. It is. A bit of FOMO, a bit of peer pressure, it gently is. and kindly, of course, but yeah. for all the right reasons. Um, but yeah, I love that. So what's the compelling reason to bring yeah. people together and is it is it a shed? Yeah. And it might be, you know, maybe you have to put on a lunch once a month or once a week Yeah, and get a good chef in or get, you know, good yeah. catering. The money is worth it because you'll yeah. get you know, ideas and, and, you know, encourage people to have conversations and to meet different people. Um, one of my clients, however, they do a lot of work with new graduates and they're, they're finding it really difficult to persuade new graduates to go into the office, yeah. particularly um, the ones who have done all of their university and some of their schooling yeah. online because of COVID. Yeah. And so they don't see the point because they've managed to get through the last three years without having to leave their house or out of get out of their pajamas in some cases I'm sure um yeah. and so they are really struggling and they they're trying to work out how do we attract the right people and at the same in a competitive market and at the same time tell them you have to come into the office three days a week yeah yes yeah and for some of them and I think even um if we talk about social interaction and your ability to mm. have conversations I know I mean I'm an extrovert I love talking to people I love meeting people I'm someone who enjoys conversing and talk about talk about talking and talk about communication um for a living but I know certainly when I came back from mat leave so having sort of like a year isolated with a tiny person and whilst it was very very fulfilling and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do that I noticed certainly returning to the office back in my corporate days I could not string a sentence together I couldn't make eye contact with people and I and I had lost my ability to converse and I had to really actively try to re-engage myself to be able to have those conversations and I can only imagine for people particularly new graduates who don't even have a baseline to go oh here's how it used to be Mm. Exactly. Versus now and learning a whole new skill that is in some instances quite vulnerable. And also realizing that um, so much of when you start a new job, so much of the way that you learn is through osmosis and through being yes. in the office and through yeah. asking, listening and observing. And you can still ask and listen through a screen, but you can't observe how somebody does their job and you can't you, and you even, you're hindered because you don't get to listen in on all of the phone conversations or all of the conversations, the snippets of conversation that you hear yeah. from people walking past your desk or when you go to the loo or when you go to the tea room or when you go to the cafe downstairs to get a coffee. Yeah, It's all of these things um, that provide opportunity that if you've never experienced it, how would you know that? And so as employers, how do they encourage people to come in and share that that's the experience that they get when they're in a workplace that cares about their people. Mm, mm. My gosh. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> it's, I mean, let's get into the culture. No, we'll save that for another. We'll save that for episode <laughs> episode point two. Yeah. Um, so just on the topic of, I guess, some of those new grads coming in, what would be your tips that you either wish you knew when you were a new leader or that you potentially mm. pass on to, to pave the way for some of these new and emerging leaders? What, what's your top five? Oh, look, my top five, my number one, and we haven't even 
talked about this, um, is look after your health. Yeah. Know what's yeah. going on in your body and your mind. And, you know, if you haven't had a doctor's appointment in a year, then maybe go and have one. If you haven't had all the usual bits checked out, you know, your hearing, your sight, your, your skin checks, your cholesterol check, your blood test, you know, mammograms, prostate, all those fun things, yeah. depending on, you know, your age and your gender, get, yeah. get it looked at. Because yeah. a little thing going wrong can derail a career really quickly, um, especially if it's not caught in time. Um, the second thing I think is don't burn bridges. Ooh, when you one. leave an organisation, leave on the best terms possible. Yep. Even if you hate every second of working there, be gracious in you know departure because the world is a very small place and you never know when an opportunity will come from somebody who you have previously worked with. Um, the third thing I think is have really clear boundaries in place, know your values, know your priorities, and know when you're prepared to open the gate for a boundary to be, you know, tweaked slightly. Um, and off the back of that, remember that the way that you start a new job is the way that people will expect you to continue. Mm. And so if you start a new job and you work late every night, they will expect that you will do that forever. Yeah. Um, but if you start a new job and you leave on time every night, then they will expect that you will do that forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Such a good lesson. Yeah. So I wish I'd learned that in my first job. Um, is that three? I think that's three. Uh, I had about 12 things. I on think my that's list, four. So, so you've got look I'm after your thinking. health, <laughs> don't burn bridges, have really clear boundaries. And oh, yeah. Start as you continue, start yeah. as you intend to continue. And then the last one um, is learn how to communicate with conviction so mm. that you can influence, engage, inspire and motivate. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Mel, uh, for sharing this. We could probably go on for hours, so we'll, we'll talk about we, next. We'll, stop. <laughs> we'll talk about next topics and we will stop um, and just continue this offline. But uh, for those of people that want to connect with you, where do you hang out mostly? So you can find out more about me through my website, melkettle.com. Um, and I spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn, Instagram, and I've just joined Threads. Um, so we'll see how that compares to Twitter. I do love Twitter. Um, so yeah, any of those places, or you're welcome to just shoot me an email. Hello at melkettle.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing your expertise on our series of Leadership Your Way. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Ali. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.